Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to talk a little Baylor Bears here as the Bowlbound Mountaineers seek their eighth win against the Bears down there in Waco on Saturday night. What's going on, everybody? You are in the gun. I'm Wesley Euler, best teammates in the business. Got the signal caller, Jed Drennan, just the two of us for this episode. If you missed it earlier in the week, everything's fine with Owen. In fact, better than fine, maybe, as he's getting ready for a uh, for a semifinal playoff game against James Monroe. He's got to get those Greenbrier West boys ready with the holiday, with everything going on with them getting ready for a big semifinal playoff game. Practice schedule change this week for the football team because of Thanksgiving, of course, and some stuff in there as well. So with our recording schedule, no big O here for these couple episodes. He will be back next week, hopefully with a big W under his belt as, uh, as well, certainly. So just myself and the signal caller today, this episode of ITG brought to you in part, as always, by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. And Jed, Tuesday night, I tell you what, uh, maybe in lieu of this Baylor preview episode you and I are about to do, we should have just clipped up you and Andrew Caridi, our buddy Andrew and Neil Brown doing the coaches show at Kegler's. I got to say, I listened to about 90% of it. I caught it all except for the tail end of the back segment because I've got a sick daughter who was melting down. Uh, but I caught about 95% of the show, and I thought it was great. You guys had Jaheim White on there. He was good. You and Andrew had great back and forth. I thought Neil was – man, Neil was funny. He was in a good mood. He was cracking jokes and talking yeah. about Thanksgiving. Um, if you search – uh, you know, if you go wherever you get your podcast, you know, wherever you get this podcast and maybe some others that you listen to and you search for the Neil Brown coaches show, you can find it there in podcast form. I thought you and Andrew and coach did a, uh, did a great job on Tuesday night. That was a fun listen. Well, I appreciate that for, for those of you listening in the original plan, we were trying to get West down there as a guest, but, but, uh, family does tend to get in the way that comes first, obviously. Uh, but uh, it was a good crowd. It was a good turnout. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it was fun to to catch up with Neil. Uh, I mean, Neil and I get to talk football quite a bit, but it's believe it or not, it's not nearly as often with a microphone in front of us, even even right. during the games, right? But but uh, it was fun doing that with Andrew. And, and I'll say this, Jaheim, when great. you bring a kid in, when you recruit a kid, okay, what, what you're doing is you're taking a vow to improve them in every way that you can to give them the best life possible when they leave, basically when they leave your university. And one of the things about Jaheim, he's a, he's a, a smart kid. He's a good kid, but he, he's a shy kid. So a lot of times when you put a microphone in, in front of those types of kids, <laughs> they, they kind of recoil a little bit. And, and just in the span of a couple of weeks, because again, it's one thing to selfishly say, Hey, get here. I don't care what you do. Run for a bunch of yards and then get out of here. No, you're trying to develop the kid. And you're trying to make him as marketable as yes. possible, as well-rounded as possible, make him football, conquer the world. Right? Whenever that and might life happen. After football, make him conquer the world in every way possible. So that's, believe it or not, one of the things that the staff works on, the support staff works on. They try and help these kids present themselves instead of just saying, hey, come sign here so you can run a bunch of yards, bunch of yards for me. And I don't care what else you do. That's not how this works. You're, you're trying to improve the whole person. And what I saw Neil do for the two segments that he sat in with Andrew, with Jaheim as the guest, Neil kind of ran the show. And it was he like he really uh, a dad with his with his arm around Jaheim's shoulder. Hey, tell us about awesome. the time you did this. Hey, tell it. I told him during the break, I said, man, you just brought your, you just channeled your inner Barbara Walters there. That was yeah. terrific. 
I mean, if he ever wants to get out of coaching, if he, if he ever wants to get out of coaching, he might have a future in some some TV analyst There's stuff. There's no I doubt about you. it. But <laughs> but hats off to Jaheim. I mean, that's the kind of progress that you want to see. You're seeing progress on the field. Of course, you want to see that. But you have concern for the well-being long-term of the kid. You want to see Absolutely. him make the most of all his opportunities. And it's nice to see him improve in front of a microphone as well, because this just in, when you play football, like Jaheim White plays football, you're going to have a whole lot of microphones in front no of you in no the doubt. years to come. So the better you are at that, the more marketable you are, the more opportunities there's going to be. So uh, that, that was just really cool to see Neil handle that the way that he did to see how much more comfortable Jaheim is becoming. He's not Dale Carnegie quite yet, but he's getting there. I mean, he's taken several strides in the last couple of weeks and, it's, it's off the field that sometimes matters as much as on the field. And that's exciting yeah. to me. It yeah. was exciting to Andrew. Neil and I talked about it. It's, it's, it's just neat. I mean, you, you concern yourself with the entire person. And that was, that was as, almost as exciting as some of the things he did against Cincinnati. <laughs> no, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I mean, he, he stayed with you guys for two segments, which was very nice of him. Yep. And, uh, you know, at the start, I thought he was a little bit quieter, maybe a little more timid. But by the time you guys got to the end of that second segment, I mean, he's laughing with Andrew about Xbox and video games and Madden right. and FIFA and Fortnite and all these different things. So, like I said, really great listen. I'm not just saying that because I because I like Jed and he was on the show. Um, just search Neil Brown Coaches Show wherever wherever you get your podcasts and you can find it there uh, if you want to go back and listen to that as we Plus get ready for the Baylor Bears. Some of the most entertaining conversations we have with Neil, like, for instance, uh, when, when Tony does his interview, sits down with him, a, a lot of times I'm around for that. And it's the before and after. So the before and after, you get to talk just football. And Neil and I get to break down some, some X's and O's and talk scheme, talk strategy. It, it's the stuff that's not on camera. It's the stuff that's not on the microphone that's often the most entertaining because we, we both have the same shorthand. That, that's the world I come from. I just I just love talking to coaches, you know, and and uh, that's always entertaining. So to give people even just a little bit of a peek into that world, and, and Neil and I were excited about it. Neil's like, all right, let's talk some football. Jim. And, <laughs> and I mean, that could have gone on for two or three more hours, right? But we, I appreciate that. But proceed. It was. I know. I know you had. I know you had a big old smile on your face when Neil called you a football guy. All right, come on, Jed, football guy. Let's talk some Baylor here. All right, that's enough. That's yeah. enough Thanksgiving and video games. Let's get yeah, into the X's right. and O's. Uh, we will get into the X's and O's here of the Baylor Bears in just a minute. Another thank you to our friends at Toothman Ford for presenting this episode of In the Gun. Big shout out to Jr. We all know cars cost less than Grafton. Get your butts to Grafton and uh, support those who are doing so much for our WVU students and NIL and, of course, supporting this podcast. Big thank you to Toothman Ford. Jed, before we go here real quick, yesterday, of course, was Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a great day. Hopefully you're nice and fat and sassy and happy today as you're listening to this on a Black Friday, maybe doing some shopping, maybe watching some football, just hanging out with the family, traveling to see some family, whatever the case may be. I thought it would be fun since we didn't really have much Thanksgiving talk on the podcast this week. And I think that's good. I think some of it can get cliched sometimes. Like, do you like stuffing or mashed potatoes? How many times can you have the same food debates around the holidays, right? But I thought it would be fun. You and I just real quick before we go to break and get to the Baylor Bears, something we're thankful for as it relates to the WVU football program this season. And I'll start here since I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I'll give you a second to think about it. And it's funny, you kind of touched on this with Neil a little bit on Tuesday night. But for me, it's it's the camaraderie, it's the togetherness, it's the buy-in, 
It's the pride that this team has in representing West Virginia and being Mountaineers and wanting to get this thing turned around after the last couple seasons hadn't gone the way uh, that, that we all want them to go as fans and that they want them to go as players and coaches. Not that the teams in the past seem fractured or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying either. But this group, I mean, it starts with the offensive line and the camaraderie and, and how many hands they've had in that pile and all the injuries that they've been over to come. The two running backs that have done it in tandem. The two quarterbacks that we've both needed at all times. The litany of wide receivers who have stepped up in big moments. Same thing on the defensive line, right? A lot of hands in that pile, all contributing, rooting for each other. The linebackers who suffered some devastating injuries to Trotter and to Latham throughout the entire course of this timeline and have still been able to persevere and the guys on the back end who are making more plays at that position than we've seen in the last two or three years. These guys, man, it just seems like they love playing together. They love competing. They love being Mountaineers. And you can kind of sense that pride, I think, that they have. Again, anchored by that offensive line that has so many West Virginia representatives on it. I just, I love the camaraderie of this group. From top to bottom, they are an easy group to root for. And again, we, you and I talked about this a little bit with Garrett Green a few episodes ago. We always, you wear the old gold and blue. We root for your success on the field, on the court, on the diamond, on the mat, on the pitch, whatever the sport might be, right? On the golf course, in the rifle range, wherever, we're rooting for you. But sometimes certain guys and girls come around that are just a little bit easier to fall in love with and root for. Sometimes certain teams come around that are just a little bit easier to fall in love and root for. And uh, and this one has been one for me. I have really enjoyed this football season, and I'm I'm sad it's coming to coming to a close here. I am too. That's well said. And you know, I, I think success is in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, different people are going to look at this West Virginia football season, which right now stands at seven wins with a chance to get to eight if we take care of business on the road in Waco, and potentially even nine, depending on how the bowl shakes out. But you, you can say that's either successful or you can, you know, sit there and, and nitpick and say, well, no wins against ranked teams, this and that. Well, you, you lost to Houston. You did this, you did that. I, I kind of look at it the other way. All right. First, let me make this point. I go back to the Bill Parcells quote. You are what your record says you are. Could we have beaten Houston? Of course we hadn't beaten lost, but you know what? We could have lost to TCU. We rallied. We found a way as a team to, to play good football in the late going of that game to, to hold on. And if that field goal goes through, we go to overtime. I don't know where that goes, right? Texas Tech came down to a fourth and goal stop. If that goes to overtime, who knows where that goes? So we found a way to win those games. So you are what your record says you are. We're a seven and four football team hoping to go eight and four. That's point number one. But point number two, part of me, I, I've always been most excited about the seasons or the caps to those seasons in which you know it's a potential stepping stone or building block. And what I mean by that is, I wish Owen was on here to talk about this, because when I think back to the Sugar Bowl, the thing that excited me most, and you know where I'm going with this, right? I do. Was I the do. core of that team was back. Was coming it back. It was something yep. to build on. In other words, that wasn't the ceiling of what you were going to be. Greater things were to follow. I mean, you had Owen coming back. You had Steve coming back. You had a Pat coming back, obviously. Darius Raynott. On both sides of the football, there were a lot of critical young pieces that were coming back. So you knew that the potential was there to take another step. The Orange Bowl went. Same thing. Yeah, we dropped 70 on Clemson. And as great as that was, and don't get me wrong, boy, was it ever, 
what was even better was knowing Gino's back, Tavon's back, starting Stephen's the years, back. Of, starting the well, season as a top ten or top fifteen team the next absolutely. year. Absolutely, yeah. So that is what excites me. So when I look at this West Virginia football team, say what you like about what we are or what we aren't, but what excites me most is potentially what we can become. When you look at the nucleus of this football team on both sides of the ball, you're always going to lose some critical pieces. You can't replace Zach Frazier. You can't replace Doug Nestor. You're always going to lose some critical pieces. No doubt about it. Lee Coba, Beanie Bishop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's guys you're going to have to find a way, and it, you, you can't replace them, but you're going to need somebody in their place and, and replace the production. You can't replace the player. But when you look at the offensive skill guys, we've talked about it so many times, whether it's Gallagher, Jaheim, CJ, Traylon, uh, Cole Taylor. I mean, I looked at this only 12 seniors walked. We talked about this with Big Daddy the other day. Some of these guys potentially are back that maybe you thought it weren't back. You're on the other side of the ball. You talk about the injuries to the linebacker spot. Are you telling me you're not terribly excited about the proposition of a linebacker group that's Trotter, Lathan, Cutter? Are you kidding me? And maybe you throw Come somebody on. else in from the portal as well, too. Yes. Like, yeah. That's just it. And the other part that excites me is now you have something to sell. Now you have something, you know, exhibit A in terms of, hey, proof of concept. Look, we're a seven or eight or nine win football team. Come be part of this out of the portal. We need you to step in. And we have a guy in Drew Fabianich with a pedigree and a background and, and a proven track record of being able to evaluate talent, being able to target talent. So you fill those spots. There's going to be roster turnover. We're going to be having these conversations here in the next couple of weeks. It's going to start. It already started to some extent. All right. You already started seeing some names leak out. Hey, going to the portal. Hey, it's going to happen everywhere in America. Buckle up. Don't pretend it's not. It's going to happen in West Virginia and everywhere else. You're going to lose a couple guys or more that you don't want to lose. But what you have to do is focus on what you can retain to build around and then what you can bring in to enhance that. And that's what I'm looking at, Wes. It's yeah. Part of it is it's been a fun ride this season to overachieve to the extent that we have when Vegas has us pegged at, pegged at four and a half wins four over and under. Wins, yeah. and, we're, and we're already sitting here at seven and you could potentially, as I said, maybe get to eight and then nine. Yeah, that's exciting. But what's more exciting, Garrett back to lead the charge offensively. It's, it's so much of this is just awesome because it has that same vibe. Those big wins that I talked about. I mean, it was great to win the Fiesta Bowl. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it was great to win the Fiesta Bowl. You knew you were losing some guys. It was great to win the Meineke Car Care Bowl, but you knew that was Pat's last ride. You're like, oh, no more power. You know what I mean? They have different vibes. When when you know all these guys are back, you're, or not all these guys, but a significant portion of these guys, that's exciting. That's what I'm looking at this. So, again, in the eyes of the beholder comes the success. You can either look at it like that, or you can nitpick and be miserable and talk about every shortcoming we've had and lay it bare because we've had some shortcomings. We've had some moments we're not proud of. Obviously, nobody is going to put that Oklahoma game in the time capsule. That was an embarrassment. But that does not define this season, nor will it define the seasons to come if we can keep this group of guys together. That's that's what I'm thankful for. Well said. I don't think there's anything to add. We're grateful. We're thankful for winning some football. Oh, one more thing. I'm thankful for the WVU football digital media team and all these awesome recap videos that they put out after all these wins. The Cincinnati one this week, it's like eight and a half minutes of West Virginia football porn, baby. I love it. It's got the senior day stuff. It's got the Don Nealon stuff. It's got the locker room. I mean, it is God bless. 
the WVU digital media team and everything that they're doing this season as well, too. It's time for us to go to break. We come back on the other side. We will take a look at those Baylor Bears, the Mountaineers heading down to Waco, looking for that eighth win of the season and some feel good as we wrap up the regular season. We'll break it all down with a signal caller. When we return, you are in the gun. Nobody supports the blue and gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. In the Gun, here we go. Man, time flies when you're having fun. It is the final regular season game for your West Virginia Mountaineers. Of course, seven wins already in the bank. That means we will go bowling. This will not be the uh, final WVU football game of the season. It will be the final game for the Baylor Bears. As uh, WVU looking for win number eight, Jed, as Baylor looks to avoid loss number nine, uh, it is a tale of two different teams here, certainly, but we know going on the road in this conference is always tough. It's going to be a night game down there, six o'clock local time. Uh, so, you know, maybe a little extra time for the crowd to get lathered up and forget that their season's over and maybe just get in there and look for one more result to end the season on a uh, on a good note. I know you had some fun breaking this one down with Neil on Tuesday night, Jed. I'm not quite the old head ball coach here, but uh, let's get into it. Uh, Tell me where you want to begin. Offense for the Mountaineers, defense for the Mountaineers. I know we got to talk about some some Dave Aranda and his fourth down tendencies. I know we got to talk about that quirky Baylor defense. So you tell me where you want to start, old signal caller. Let's look big picture. And this is something I brought up to Neil. What what concerns me about this this situation at large is – uh, in facing Dave Aranda, I mean, first of all, he's a guy who's demonstrated a propensity to, to rolling the dice. He'll follow the analytics to a fault sometimes. So you know that he's going to push the envelope. He's going to take some chances. He's not going to leave anything in the toolbox. So he's going to, under, under ordinary circumstances, he brings it all out. But certainly when you're sitting there struggling the way they are, he's going to do that. Let, let's, let's revisit this, Wes. He was on staff at 
LSU for what many people might regard as the greatest team in the history of college football. Certainly in the the conversation, yeah. Part of the conversation for sure. Uh, So he was on staff for that LSU football team. He was the defensive coordinator. Uh, Of course, the offense got all the headlines. Well, that offense, interestingly enough, what they did was they broke down their coaching duties on the offensive side of the football with Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady. They divided it up. You had a pass game coordinator. You had a run game coordinator. And so to Dave Aranda, that's what good looked like. How could it not be? Because it didn't look much better than the 2019 LSU Tigers at any point in history. So he gets his first head coaching job during the crazy COVID year in 2020. It was a tough situation. He was doing a bunch of Zoom, couldn't really meet his team. He That was a – look, I, I talked to another head coach uh, that got – a head job that year and I remember them walking me through the challenges of not being able to be around their players and having to do everything virtual so that was a, an unfair ask and an unfair lift in many respects so he gets to Waco and he takes over that job now what he did again what did good look like to him hey you take these duties you go co-offensive coordinators you spread the uh, the load and uh, that, that that's kind of what you're going to do. You know, uh, you're, you're going to have Ensminger, you're going to have Brady, what, LSU, that's how it works. So what he did, he hired Larry Fedora and he hired Jorge Munoz. And he tried to follow the same template and the same model. And he tried to go to a basically an inside zone slash air rate approach. And he quickly found out that in 2020, and he said this many times since, he said, look, it's difficult to run inside zone. Uh, in today's college football as a staple because people are chopping their front up and there's so much movement there's so much twisting and stunning he said that's problem number one problem number two it's difficult to succeed make a living by just drop back pass all the time and he said that's what we were trying to do both those things with that combination of co-ocs so here's what he did he pulled the plug entirely so he jettisoned both those ocs he jettisoned the entire system And he taps Jeff Grimes, who was doing all these incredible things with the stretch play and the downfield passing game with BYU with Zach Wilson, who went on to be the number two pick in the draft. So he taps Jeff Grimes and brings him in and says, hey, reinvent what we're doing. What I was doing wasn't working. So first and foremost, that's a concern of mine. This guy who has shown when something's not working, a lot of guys would have probably been stubborn and said, hey, I'm going to give this more of a fair shake than just. Uh, you know, a COVID shortened 2020 season to see if this works. He snapped his fingers and said, I'm out of here. I'm going something else. So he's sitting here at three and eight with West Virginia coming to town with one game remaining. That's still in him. So who knows? I mean, we're trying to study this tape and understand their tendencies and appreciate what they do and don't do. Who knows what we might encounter, especially with their quarterback situation being as murky as it is. It looks like they're going to be going with their backup, Sawyer Robertson, but don't rule anything out right? They have absolutely nothing to lose. And Dave Aranda's history would suggest that, uh, that, you know, why not roll the dice? Why not surprise West Virginia? Why not trying to go into the off season with, with a big surprise? So, uh, you know, there's an old saying that, that every football team is two ifs away from being pretty good. So I've been asking myself, <laughs> what are the two ifs with Baylor? What are the two ifs? They're sitting here at three and eight. They've been competitive more times than you might expect, but you can understand where the eight losses came from. First and foremost, they're struggling at home. Uh, that's about as perplexing as anything. They're winless against FBS teams at home. You thought, you know, uh, th- this was something that Phil Steele so, uh, you know, uh, brightly pointed out. He said, when you saw Baylor's schedule come 
come out with eight home games, you thought, man, they're going to be cooking with gas. They're going to be humming. They're 0-6 against FBS to S teams at home. I know. So you didn't see that coming. So what are the two ifs? So I have to think the ultimate equalizer is when you when it comes down to turnovers, that can equalize almost anything. So I would say first, you got to stress ball security. You're going in, you know, on the road. Anytime you go on the road, that's a challenge. And second of all, I would say the if might be if they can get a fast start and start buying in and believing in whatever plan they sure. came up with this week. So that's that's what I would start with from a big picture standpoint, uh, Wes. That that's what I'm looking at. But if, if you want to get uh, inside baseball here, let, let, let's start by talking about we, we talked about what they did and didn't do and what worked and didn't work uh, in terms of jettisoning the old system and replacing it with the new system. Well. Jeff Grimes came in in 2021. It was a perfect fit. He had a converted linebacker playing uh, running back. It was a big physical kid named Abram Smith. Uh, he had an offensive line that was very coachable. They were a bunch of sponges. They soaked it up. Uh, they stepped into his system. His system is heavily predicated. How many times you heard Owen and I talk about this? On the stretch play, the outside zone. Now, one of the benefits of the outside zone, one of the many benefits, first of all, you can run it from a lot of looks and a lot of personnel groupings, so you can present it so many different ways. That's one of the reasons West Virginia likes it as much as we do. Neil loves the outside zone. Why wouldn't he? And the other thing is there's some uniformity in it in terms of packaging it with your pass game. You can come off the RPO action with it. You can come off play action with it. You can jet sweep it. You can read it the other way. So it gives you a lot of options. But as much as anything, I talked about the fact that the modern college defense likes to twist and stem and chop things up and get creative, maybe with some run blitzes and, and be disruptive. Well, one of the big things that Jeff Grimes has always preached is his belief in the stretch play because uh, it's difficult to penetrate and you don't give up as many negative yardage plays. You stay ahead of schedule, you stay ahead, you stay on script because when you think about those, those stunts and those twists, when you're running the stretch play, you're out running those things. It's working against the defense, not in their favor. Right. I mean, think about it. If you're attacking on a defensive end, you're running a stunt and you're trading swapping place. If you can just envision this, if you're listening, well, the offensive line is going to get on rails and run laterally to create the zones in the stretch play. You're running away from that stunt or that twist. So, uh, it creates problems for the defense. Now, the issue that Baylor is encountering is they're very young. They lost a lot up front. And when, when you look at their offensive line, uh, they got three fresh freshmen logging significant snaps, uh, including their left tackle. So uh, it, it's difficult to sync this up. First of all, zone blocking at large takes continuity. And what I mean by that is, you have to understand the shorthand of the body language of the guy next to you because it's all predicated on double teaming and then climbing to the second level. Well, you have to know at what point you're going to disengage and climb to the second level. And when you rep enough with the guy next to you, you're going to start to understand that, hey, I better secure this thing because the guy who's helping me, if it's a center slash right guard, the center, for instance, Zach Frazier knows Jaquay Hubbard and Brandon Yates. Zach Frazier knows Tomas Remock. He knows when they're going to disengage and climb to the next level or vice versa. So they recognize, hey, now's the time. I better make sure this is secured. Well, if you haven't played a lot together, that's much more difficult to achieve. And when you're throwing three freshmen in the mix, that's really difficult to achieve. So as a result, the one thing that Jeff Grimes prides himself in the most, staying ahead of schedule, avoiding penetration, avoiding TFLs, not getting knocked backwards, they're getting knocked backwards a lot. 
So they're almost being forced to live off schedule this year. So, I mean, they're giving up right in the ballpark of seven TFLs a game. And when this is the style of football that you want to play, that's not going to work so well. It's not going to be very effective. That translates to a lot of sacks. It puts you behind the sticks. It's going to work against you in a lot of different ways. So first and foremost, offensively, that's kind of what I would look at because Baylor's allowing 7.3 TFLs per game. What that does, it reduces their yards per carry average. They're only averaging 3.4 yards per carry, dead last in the Big 12. Again, you're not going to be ahead out of schedule very often when you do that. And so it is going to lead to what we talked about earlier. You hit the top of the show. They lead the nation fourth down attempts. Now, part of that is driven by analytics, but part of it's also driven by the fact sometimes they need four downs to get 10 yards. So this is one of the conversations Neil had at his show the other night. I'm not going to read so much into the fact that Baylor lacks efficiency as a third down offense. They're 13th. When you look at the raw numbers, 13th and a 14-team Big 12, and moving the sticks on third down, don't read so much into that because a lot of times when it's third and seven, Baylor's not yeah, trying to move the chains. They're, they're trying to make it fourth down. and two. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what you're doing. You, you get a lot more even, like you get a lot more third and long runs against Baylor probably than you do anybody else. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's going to happen because they're playing for four downs, and it doesn't matter where they're out on the field. I mean, th- there were instances in the TCU game last week. That was a competitive game for quite a stretch. And when you look at the final score, it's hard to imagine that it was a blowout. Uh, the final score was 42 to 17, but that was a competitive football game. And again, when, when you're looking at how this thing unfolded, I think it was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. Baylor's driving deep into TCU territory. They find themselves inside the 10 with a fourth and three situation. So they could have taken the chip shot field goal and gone up 10 to 7, but instead, what'd they do? They went for it. They rolled the dice on fourth and three. They didn't get it. Two or three plays later, 80-yard touchdown by Jared Wiley. Boom, it's 14 to seven. And now you're in a chase position. But the same types of things that served Baylor so well when they were shocking the world to win the Big 12 in 2021 coming off a two-win season, they were converting those fourth downs. They were winning those battles. They were stealing those extra possessions. Well, now it's working against them. So a tight ball game in the second half uh, against TCU, now you gamble a couple more times on fourth down in your own territory. You don't get it. Now here's short fields for TCU. Boom, boom. That's how you get a blowout. But, again, this isn't a novel approach. This is what Baylor was doing last year as well. They were doing it in 2021. They were just doing it more effectively in previous years. Against West Virginia last year in Morgantown in this 43-40 to shootout, they were three for three on fourth down. That's one of the reasons it was a shootout, right? Mm-hmm. So they've had my, moments in the past when this stu- served them very my, well. My ticket ticket. Stub right there. Perfect. Perfect. You're unbeaten uh, you and Big O ticket. That's where so, it started. It started uh, with that ticket stub right there. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. But right now, Wes, they're converting only 44% of those third downs. So when you think about it, when a lot of those situations are kind of iffy to begin with, they, they look at this big picture, Okay. Big picture would suggest that over the span of 12 games, when you're exploring the analytics, they're saying, look, the net gain over 12 games, not in this one finite situation on fourth and three at TCU inside the 10, big picture, the net gain is X, Y, or Z. That's like, you know, Neil pointed out something to me there night. I thought this was fascinating. He said, if you noticed, we've been, every time we win the toss, we've been taking the ball. Okay. Now you can go back and forth on debating 
the merits of deferring or taking the ball. I mean, I always said, hey, one of the reasons I like to defer if I'm playing a good quarterback, that eliminates the possibility of that good quarterback getting back-to-back possessions. He might end the first half with the ball and start the second half with the ball. I want to eliminate that. But what Neil said made perfect sense. The metrics and the analytics tell them that if you take the ball when you win the coin toss, over the course of the season, you get an additional 0.8 possessions per game. Interesting. That's 10 a year. Yeah. That's 10 additional possessions. That's a full game of offense. So when you look at it, it's it's very enticing, very intoxicating, and you have to apply the common sense piece to it. And uh, sometimes Dave Aranda just sticks to his guns, and that's exactly what – I mean, you've even seen this. Joey McGuire's doing it because he was on staff at Baylor. Yep. I mean, Joey sure McGuire's doing it at Texas Tech. Sure so is. those people who believe in this, they believe in it. And uh, it's worked against him more this year than in past years. And that's one of the things that's made it very challenging. Uh, But when when you look at Baylor, what you expect, you expect guys who can make plays on the perimeter. You expect physical backs. Uh, They've got some of that. Maybe not what we've seen in the past to that extent. But uh, Dominic Richardson transferred from Oklahoma State. He's one of the guys carrying the load. They always have two or three they're going to throw at you that are big and physical. Uh, when you look on the perimeter, of course, they have some weapons. They'll move Monterey Ball one around. He's shifty, he's slippery, he's explosive, he's dangerous. Uh, often plays in the slot. He's their most targeted guy. He creates some matchup issues for you, and they'll get created, creative with him from a motion standpoint, what they do to try and isolate him. Uh, and then Keytron Jackson, he's their size guy. He's their 50-50 ball guy. He hasn't played, I don't think, as physical as they would like. He hasn't come down with a lot of those balls, but he's a 6-3, pushing 210 type kid. So they have those weapons. But one of the intriguing things about this offense too, Wes, is they're tight ends. And Drake Dabney's the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, that guy is, is a football player. He's 6'5", two and a half yeah. bills. They feed him the ball a lot. I mean, he had a big game in Morgantown last year, five catches for 66 yards. He's having a great season again this year, 31 31 catches. They target him in the red zone quite a bit. But their tight end group in general, Jake Roberts also is going to get a lot of reps. You'll see him have some balls thrown his way. But they have three, four, sometimes even more kids that they'll work into the game plan. And their tight ends have 69 catches which I believe is second or third in the country as a tight end group. So they see matchups that they like, be it against your nickel, be it against one of your safeties, be it against one of your backers. So be on high alert for that because that is something that they definitely like to lean on offensively. Uh, But that's kind of the long and short of it. It looks to some extent like the Baylor offenses that have been so effective in the past, but for those three freshmen. And when you have to play three freshmen, as much as they've been forced to at the point of attack, one of them spent half the time, half the season at center. Uh, they have some veterans up there, but uh, I mean, Clark Barrington's played a lot of football, uh, Campbell Barrington, Gavin Byers, but the three freshmen, it's just tough to insert those guys and not take a few lumps. So uh, that, that bodes well for the future for Baylor. Uh, but you're, you're going to have some growing pains when that happens. And that to me is the fundamental difference offensively when I look at Jeff Grimes' offenses the last couple of years at Baylor versus Jeff Grimes' offense this year at Baylor, and he's catching a ton of flack. Of sure. course, when you're standing at three and eight, one of the last game of the year, everybody down there is going to be catching some flack. Yeah, but particularly, that's what particularly with that home record you mentioned as well, too. <laughs> cool. 
Like it's one thing to struggle and have a down year, right? But it's one thing to to hardly win at home an entire season when you have eight home games. That's a way to uh, that's a way to make the citizens uh, get a little unrest rough, there man. for sure. That's that's real rough. And listen, I know you've been there. I I don't need to tell you, but that's an area down there in Waco where there's a decent amount of money, and there's a decent amount of entertaining things to spend your money on, you know. And so those type yeah. of fans sometimes they can be a little fickle and they can. You know, I'm spending a lot of money on this product and we're getting our butts handed to us at home every single week. Yeah, uh, but some growing pains for sure. And you just hope that those continue. You're able to make those continue on Saturday Um, because eventually, right, freshmen, things start to slow down for them. They start to make plays. They start to get more comfortable. Don't let that uh, be the case, particularly like you said, early on Saturday night. Let them get some momentum. Let them get some belief. Go out there and jump on them early. Make life difficult. And you know, Wes, one of the things Coach Rod used to tell us, and I can speak to this too, is when it gets late in the year, you're not a freshman anymore. Get right. that nonsense out of you. It's like Ben Cutter, yeah. right? Ben Cutter's you're not no a freshman, freshman anymore. Freshman. Yeah. You're a veteran. So, yeah, when you played this much football at this point in the season, you're exactly right. Things he might ain't a freshman down. anymore. Yeah. Rodney no, Gallagher not a, not a freshman anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, that's that's well said by you. A hey, final thank you to our friends at Fortis and our buddy Rick Lewis for presenting this episode of In the Gun, the best commercial roofing business in the nation. Make sure you visit Fortis.us.com for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. All right, Jed, let's spin the block. Other side of the ball. Listen, it's it's a it's a unique Baylor offense and the way they like to operate with their third and fourth downs. It's uh, I know it's a unique Baylor defense too, and what they do with some of their fits and some of their gaps. So break it all down for me, dear signal caller. Yeah, what's interesting is uh, what Dave Aranda is known most for, and Neil has seen this many times. He even back to Neil's first year at Troy, he faced Dave Aranda when he was at Wisconsin. But even going back to Dave Aranda's time as an assistant coach at Delta State. He was starting to earn a reputation for these simulated pressures. They call them sim pressures. Some people call them creepers. Basically, what you're doing is you're trying to manipulate protection. Because when you hear him talk about this, it's first of all, Dave Aranda is a fascinating, very thoughtful guy. I mean, I, I, I could listen to Dave Aranda talk football all day. And there have been times in the offseason that I have. Uh, he fascinates me. But he, boy, does he understand defensive football. And he said, look, sometimes it didn't make as much sense to attack offensive personnel as it did to maybe try to attack their schemes or their pass protection schemes. So if you can find ways to manipulate that, it can serve you very well. And th- that's what he does. It's uh, th- th- they, they create the illusion of pressure without bringing the pressure that you think you're going to get. So they end up getting the best of both worlds. They, to some extent, outnumber, outleverage you on one side of the football, your protection scheme, but they also have resources and coverage. So they're getting pressure indirectly and they have numbers and coverage. And here's what they'll do. You'll see them walk up. And when you're watching the game, you, you'll see this a ton. You'll see them walk up five or six guys and it looks like a six-man pressure. I mean, that's what they're simulating. That's where the sim comes in. They're simulating a six-man pressure pre-snap. Now, what's that do? First and foremost, it, let's say you have a back who's very active in your pass game and your backs are an instrumental part of what you do when you throw the football. Well, by and large, your back's now going to have to stay in because he's going to be occupied by what looks to be a six-man pressure. So he's checking out of his route. So he's now part of the protection scheme. So let's say that it looks like a six-man pressure. 
Well, what they're going to do is they're going to drop two of those guys at the snap, and only four of them are going to come, but it's not always the four. It's rarely the four that you right. think are going to come. So what ends up happening is, is you might have one or two offensive linemen and the back wasted because they're left to block air. Meanwhile, even though it's only four pass rushers, they've now outnumbered one side of your protection. And guess what's dropping into coverage? Seven defenders. And your quarterback has this mental clock working where he's thinking, oh boy, pressure's coming. I better speed it up a beat or two and get rid of the football more quickly. When in fact, he's throwing into a seven-man coverage. Not just a seven-man coverage, but a seven-man zone coverage with all eyes on the football. So it creates a ton of problems. And that's one of the issues with it. You have to stay out of third and long, and that's easier said than done. Uh, and Because here's the issue. They haven't, the third down numbers at large haven't been there for Baylor. Uh, not to the extent that you're used to seeing out of a Dave Aranda defense. They're in the lower group of teams in the Big 12 defensively in third down production overall. But if they get you into third and long, that's where he dials it up and he really gets the best of you. If it's third and seven or longer, you better buckle up and Katie bar the door because some exotic look is going to come. I mean, I made the point to Neil the other night. I remember a couple years ago, when we were down in Waco and when they ambushed us and jumped out to that huge lead. Well, I believe that was, it was Wyatt who didn't play in that game. One of our young alignment, I think it was Wyatt Milam was, was dinged up and didn't play in that game. And I remember thinking, even going into the game, I was frustrated because I was like, man, I get that you get banged up and you can't play, but I wish it was another game you were missing. Not just because you're going to be instrumental in this, but because yeah, want you to it's see such this a defense. critical learning yeah. experience. Yes, it's such a valuable learning experience to play four quarters against these looks because these looks are so unlike something you otherwise might see. Sure. And uh, and that that's kind of what happens is uh, they like to knock you off schedule. And once they knock you off schedule, they're going to come at you. But But that's what these creeper pressures do. They're very good at it. Few people in the country are better than them. Uh, now, what's interesting when you break down a few numbers, Baylor defensively this year has faced only 27 and a half pass attempts per game. Now, part of that would, you know, logic might dictate, well, when you're three and eight, you trail a lot. When you trail a lot, people aren't throwing on you. They're running sure, on you, right? Sure, sure. But what's interesting to me, I've been studying with greater scrutiny the last couple games because the last two games, even though Baylor 27 and a half, pa 27 and a half pass attempts, they face, which is easily the fewest in the Big 12 defensively, people aren't throwing on them. The last two weeks, Kansas State and TCU have averaged 34 pass attempts. They've seen something they liked, and they have attacked it. Uh, I mean, Josh Hoover had a day against these guys. So there's going to be some opportunities there. But once again, flipping the script, we're going to have to set the table with our stretch play we're gonna have to set the table with our zone running scheme now it's the age-old question of who benefits more us because we rep it every day on both sides of the ball when our offense and defense sees it or baylor because they do so that's the age-old question but i think maybe especially if you have a situation where blake shapen's not playing because blake shapen is an exceptional high-level football player i mean they threw for 400 plus yards against us in morgantown remember he got hurt and didn't finish the game I mean, the drones kid who's now the starter at Virginia Tech had to come in. But uh, they had a day throwing the football uh, on us in Morgantown last year. But uh, if, in fact, they have to go with Robertson, the Mississippi State transfer, ironically, a Lubbock native. Uh, so if, if they have to go with him, he's not nearly as mobile. So 
is the advantage found in the fact that we have Garrett and they have more of a statuesque type sure. quarterback, possibly, because there's more things you can do off those zone schemes from an attacking the backside standpoint. They'll have to use jet motion to keep us honest. We can use jet motion or Garrett. So maybe we have a few more options. Uh, but again, it's strange for me to look at a Dave Aranda defense and see that they've allowed 25 rushing touchdowns, which is the most in the Big 12. That's just, that's very un-Dave Aranda-like. Yeah. Uh, but again, what did I talk about with their shortcoming on the offensive side of the football? Youth. They're playing Ooh. a lot of freshmen at the point of attack. The, the Utes, well, Jed. The Utes. The Utes. Not Utah, who's joining the conference next year, Your Honor. Well, you know what's funny about that? I remember I did my preview for the Heart of Dallas Bowl uh, a couple of years ago when West Virginia played in that. And the name of the or the so head Tony, of the article, Tony, we got the these two the Utes. Did you, did you say Utes? Yeah, that was that was the name of the article. But, uh, yeah, so people have run the football effectively on them. They struggled at large. But when you break down their personnel uh, – Devin Bobby is a kid, a safety flying around there, wearing number 28. He's a battle-tested veteran in this group, and he's only a sophomore, okay? Now, they do have a senior in Matt Jones that that uh, he's a creature of the box. He has some limitations in space. I think you'll see people uh, – he's 6'3", two-and-a-half bills. He doesn't move as well, as you might guess, in space. So, from a matchup standpoint, if you find him in obvious passing downs, he's probably going to be off the field. But sure. if you can isolate him, we're going to have some matchups that we're going to like. But when you look at their back end, they have a safety in Corey Gordon. A lot of folks are going after Corey Gordon. Uh, he's a freshman. He's been targeted 30-plus times. Caden Jones, a corner. Uh, he's made some plays, but he's a freshman as well. He's basically getting by on raw talent right now. Carl Williams, uh, another corner, he's a freshman. So there's a lot of youth on this back end of this defense. And, of course, all these things are interconnected. So that leads to some of the challenges they've had in stopping the run because you can't commit nearly as many resources in helping stop the run when you're that young on the back end because those guys need some help too. So they've had to try and strike a balance in doing both of those things. But uh, they have a corner. It's interesting. Uh, you know, he's on my own name team, Chateau Reed. That uh, <laughs> he's out there flying around too. He's he's probably one of the only guys on that back end in the corner group that has true length. So none of them, you know, are really shorter guys. But but he's a long, muscular type kid who just looks like an athlete on tape. But uh, again, you can see these guys growing into something. But as we said with the freshman on the offensive line, you're going to take some lumps. You're going to have some growing pains. They're playing better football now than they were in September, but they still have a pretty bright future, and that bright future isn't here quite yet. Let's kick that down the road one more week. Absolutely, Jed. Um, man, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm going to – I mean, you and I touched on this a little bit in the open. There are – a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this team going into next season, uh, namely, right, what 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 you could bring back and what you could even add upon in the portal. But it, there still feels like a big difference between seven and five and eight and four, doesn't there? Like, oh yeah, oh, it, yeah. don't get me, don't get me wrong. If, if if we go down if we go down to Baylor and it doesn't go our way, I'm not going to suddenly be like, oh, this season was this colossal failure and all pissed off and everything. But they're just. Eight and four feels much better than seven and five. I completely agree. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, I, I completely agree. Here's 
we, we always talk about how incestuous the game of football is, right? I mean, everything's connected. Everything's connected. Well, it is. here's it's a couple connections for you. Their defensive coordinator, Matt Palich, he was on staff with Neil at Kentucky. He was uh, an analyst on staff uh, at Kentucky, coaching the uh, special teams and the defense when Neil was the OC at Kentucky. So he goes way back with Matt Polich. And, and, and when you look at their offensive coordinator, you heard me talk about Jeff Grimes. Wes, the guy that brought the run-and-shoot offense to Glenville, uh, that first installed it, that, that Rich took and modified and made his own with all these changes he made, was Mike Springston. Uh, Mike Springston it was an incredibly bright offense of mine. Uh, he was an old Mouse Davis guy, true run-and-shoot. That's who taught us to run-and-shoot. Well, he was on staff at UTEP in the late 80s. They had a quarterback named Howard Gasser, had a cup of coffee, I think, on the taxi squad in the NFL, maybe with the Seahawks. But really explosive offensive teams. Well, guess who one of their tackles was on that on that UTEP team that Mike Springston, who taught us our offense, Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at Baylor. It's just, it's so strange to, I remember when Grimes got the job, I texted Coach Springston. And, and you know, he and I are having this chat about what Jeff Grimes was like in late 1980s as an offensive lineman at UTEP. But, uh, yeah, it's just everything's connected in the game of college football. It no is. doubt about it. It certainly is. Well, Jed, as we uh, as we wrap this thing up, any final tidbits, any final notes? Speak now or hold your peace until next week. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say that from a special team standpoint, we might have some opportunities at some returns. They have two kickers they play in the kickoff game. And they're not these two guys who have so consistently, about 40% of the time, touch back, maybe even less than that. So we might have some opportunities in kick return. Now, directional punting for Ollie is going to be big because Josh Cameron is a dynamic, explosive return man. He cannot just flip the field, but he can take it to the house. He's number two in the Big 12. He's averaging over 15 yards of return. He had a big game, had some big ones against Kansas State. And we all know how sound Kansas State is uh, and from a special team standpoint. So, yeah, those are two things that I would focus on uh, is keep the ball away from Josh Cameron. We're punting it. And hopefully we get some opportunities in the kick return game. But uh, let's also hope that they're not kicking it off too many times to give us those opportunities. Ain't that the right? truth. Ain't that the truth. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'm fired up. Like I said, I, I don't want this season to end. It is nice knowing that this is this is the penultimate game of the season for the Mountaineers, right, Jed? Because we will have – one more to go. Um, let's go take care of business. Let's let's end the month of November on a high note. Feel good. Hopefully get a fun, intriguing bowl matchup. And uh, let's also hope, fingers crossed, that uh, that Jed doesn't have to wait for seven hours in the parking lot to pay his $5 and get well, out of there at three, at 3 o'clock in the morning when the team lands. Yeah, I'll pay my $5. But, Wes, I'd close with this. The game that I remember most – from the old Garrett, I'll call him, okay? The Garrett that was given every chance in the free world to show he was ready, show he could take the next step. Uh, he was kind of handed the keys two years ago in Waco and given significant opportunities to do something. And it was frustrating to watch that tape because you know what Garrett's capable of. He wasn't nearly as capable of it two years ago. That was sure. the issue. Sure. He didn't trust his eyes. He had some easy access throws. And he just kept tucking the ball and taking off and tucking the ball and taking off. And the Garrett that we now know and love, if you took him in a time machine and put him back in that situation two years ago against those same looks that Baylor was giving him, 
you wouldn't even recognize him. No doubt. He is no doubt. nowhere near the player that he was two years ago or even early last year. His growth since last year into the offseason, into camp throughout this season, his growth has been tremendous. So the last time we were there, that's the game that I just can't shake out of my mind. When I think of, of the metamorphosis that I've seen with Garrett Green as a player, he got significant snaps, significant opportunities, and he just wasn't in a place where he was ready to make the most of those yet as a complete quarterback. And now I'm eager to see him back in that same environment as a much more, not, not a complete finished product, that's the exciting part, but as a much more well-rounded and complete quarterback step into that environment and see what he can do now. It's, it's really exciting. Garrett Green leads the Big 12 in this metric they call big-time throws. And that's exactly what you think it would be. Timing, placement, big-time throws. Garrett Green leads the Big 12. Uh, and, and, again, I just think he scratched the surface in terms of what he can do and what we'll see him become. Well, Six, let's go get him, baby, and let's end this season on a high note. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Like I said, I hope if you're um if you're out maybe bouncing between families for Thanksgiving or traveling or shopping or doing whatever, uh stay safe out there. Hopefully everybody had a great Thanksgiving and a and a good holiday weekend here, some time with friends and family, some time to unwind and unplug. I know Jed uh getting on a plane here. I'll be getting on a plane to Cincinnati on Saturday, but we will all be around our TVs or on the sideline in the case of the signal caller on Final Saturday night. Yep. We have the single-A Final Four this weekend. That's right? right. Now, I want to see two good football games, but I just can't help but hope my beloved Tucker County Mount Lions are facing off against Big O's Greenbrier West. Oh, we need it. And, the then, and, then they, and, then they've got, and then they've got to let me and you call the game, right? I mean, that's they just, to. they, they got to let me and to. you call the game. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a podcast in the making right there. That's it. That's it. Yes. Yeah, so all the best uh, as well too to all the uh, all the high school kids going for a state championship berth tonight. It's certainly an exciting time in life, without a doubt. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of In the Gun. Thanks to you all for for rocking and rolling with us, not only in this episode but throughout this season. It's been a lot of fun. Like I said, let's end this one on a high note, and we'll all meet back here early next week to uh, to break down another Mountaineer victory. The one thing we ask of you, as always, before we get out of here, is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. Don't forget, it's still not too late. Or is it too late? Yeah, it's too late to, to, to participate late. in our pick because because yeah. we had games. Yep, all right, I'm, there I go. I'm, I'm just losing my mind here. Just sign off and get out of here, Euler. Uh, big thanks to our guy, Skyler, for putting this together. As always, take care, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. Be good, be safe. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.